This week on A Dash of Grit, a successful entrepreneur bootstrapping his way from a startup to an international success. He sells, and what's next? He starts again. And he expects excitement, and he expects winning, and he fails miserably. He's flat on his face. Now what? He shows some grit. Let's talk to Bob Beer next. This is A Dash of Grit. Recipes for success from courageous leaders who overcome challenges and build great things. Now, podcasting from Spire to leaders in local communities like yours, here is Brian Leflock. And let's get cooking. Welcome to Dash of Grid. Our guest today is a true entrepreneur building multiple businesses from the ground up and also as a community leader towards growth and excellence. He's done it all. He's the founder of SDG Publishing. He's going to talk about that a lot today. It's a startup publishing company developing resources for churches. He's also the past president, uh, founder uh, of Beacon PMG. It's an editorial and publishing uh, company on an international scale. He built that from the ground up. And, uh, and so that's part of his success. He serves on the advisory board for Spire Advertising. He's also been and always has been a, uh, a great provider of, of wise and sage advice for me. And I do appreciate that. Uh, my guest today on Dash of Grit is Bob Beer. And Bob, it's a thrill to have you on the show today. And I'm excited for you to share your story with everyone. Thanks, Brian. Looking forward to uh, to talking about the things that that you've accomplished. You've you've built things from the ground up to great success, and you're doing it again. And it's painful, and here you come again, and you keep keep going at it. You've got a lot of grit to share. We're going to talk about that and the pain and the hardships. First, though, talk to folks about SDG Publishing, what you're accomplishing, what you're doing, and how successful you you uh, feel things are going. Uh, brag a little bit about things, Bob. Well, SDG is a startup company. Uh, it's not really fully established yet. We've really come through a nine-year R&D period, if you can believe that. Mm. And uh, we think we're on the verge of finally breaking through. And uh, But we're trying to help. Basically, we're trying to help churches equip their people to put the lessons of the Bible into practice, not just to hear things and forget things or read things and know things, but actually do things, practice these things, and become like Jesus, you know, like uh, we're, we're asked to do in the Bible. So if we break through, we think it could be a very, very broad market, both in the U.S. and around, you know, the world possibly. But we've had this, we've had to make many mistakes and many changes in direction along the way. And, uh, but we finally, I think, emerging and we're starting, you know, a marketing campaign. We're moving our tools into the electronic mode and things like that. So it's exciting time for us, but uh, it's been a long haul up until this point. Can you give me just a quick example of why that seems so hard? It's the Bible and it's churches and it's engagement. What's the problem? Why isn't that just a multi-million dollar seller right off the bat? Well, you know, we know, you know, I mean, the way you'll really learn anything when you think about it is you hear it or read it then you usually see it, you get a chance to see somebody doing it, and then you get a chance to actually do it yourself and practice it. But in the world of faith, you know, when you hear a sermon on, you, you need to forgive, for example, you need to forgive. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've all heard those kind of sermons, but, but you leave that sermon, you're not really, you don't get a chance to actually usually see people doing it, because they're typically alone with God if they're doing it. Right. You don't get a chance to practice it, really. So by, you know how it goes, by Monday or Tuesday, you've mm-hmm. forgotten. I mean, you know it's important to forgive, but most Christians and 
you know, don't actually know how to do it. You know, when the yeah. time comes when you need to do it, you're not really equipped to do it, you know, yeah. and so. And so a pastor works really hard to get Sunday great. And then he just yeah. hopes that everything follows through until the next Sunday and doesn't really know what to do in between. And, yes. and that's the, that's the opportunity that's really here. Okay. Right. All right. So I'm, I'm thrilled that, uh, that a nine year R and D project is, is painful <laughs> just to begin talking about, because that takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of grit. Let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk about some of the challenges, things you've had to overcome, um, in, in trying to get SDG off the ground. Yeah. My business career, my first career with Beacon, that, that went on for 30 years. Uh, we actually sold that company in 2008 and I left in 2011 and I left with this just kind of desire I had to help churches with their educational processes because I could see it wasn't quite going right, but I had no idea at all how I was going to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, when we sold our company, we were one of the biggest firms in our industry. We, we provided editing and graphic services to large publishers. Yeah, you were on an international level, right? Built from scratch here in, in Ashland and you turned it into something big. Yeah, we had a facility in India and these kind of yeah. things. And uh, so I left and uh, when I left, you know, we we're the leading producer of college textbooks in the country and the lead, one of the leading producers of scientific journals. One of the reasons for that was something that happened back in the year 2000. We had this we invented this new editing process because our editors worked around the country on our equipment remote. And uh, we, we invented this editorial process where we could output edited files that could go simultaneously to print and online, which at the time, and this is the year 2000, mm -hmm. publishers just beginning to migrate to the web. And we had this huge surge in demand for our editing services which actually was a big problem because it typically took us eight to 12 months to train editors. And mm. we like needed capacity, like right now. So okay. we went off and we studied, we read everything we could about the process of learning, trying to shorten the learning time. We read books on cognition, memory, motivation, all these things. And we came up with a process that had three components that were known at the time to accelerate learning. And the first one was called chunking. We actually, when you take something you want people to learn and you break it into small chunks and ask people to master one chunk at a time, it, it tends to slow them down and help them, you know, master things before they move to the next thing. And you get that deeper kind of learning. Right. So we took an editing job and we broke it into 150 like individual chunks, you know. Okay. And, and, and you learned not, that so that you could satisfy this demand in, in that company. You had to do that. And so that became built into you. Right. So we, okay. so we built this new training process. And that was one of the features. We, we hmm. chunked up the job. The second feature was what we call mental images. You got to provide people a mental image of what it looks like to do tasks, which kind of motivates them to want to practice it. And so we made movies. We had an expert editor. We had screen capture software and made a movie of the expert editor doing each one of these 150 tasks. And then the third component, what we called coaching support. You needed a coach to kind of keep you at it, encourage you, and also made sure you, you mastered each chunk before you could move to the next one. And so if we hired you in Los Angeles to be an editor for us, we'd start with chunk number one and we'd send you practice material. We'd send you the little movie and you'd watch how you do chunk one. Mm -hmm. And then at some point we'd actually watch your screen from our offices in Ashland, Ohio. 
an expert editor. Would. And, and if you mastered it, you could move on to the next chunk. If you didn't, you had to go, you had to stay there. Okay. And to our surprise, Brian, the first editors that came out of this new process with chunks, mental images, and coaching support, they came out in eight to 10, like weeks, not months. They came out and they were like expert editors and ready we to just, go. We couldn't believe it. And, uh, and I didn't know at the time there was a name for this process that we had come up with called deep practice. Okay. And uh, right before I left in 2011, this book came across my desk. It was called the talent code uh, written by a guy named Daniel Coyle. Hmm. And uh, what he had done, he had gone around the world to these places he called talent hotbeds where people got really good at something in a really short period of time. Like there's a tennis school in Russia that, one indoor courts produced like all these world, these world-class tennis players and a violin school in upstate New York. And, and what he found is they were all using a similar process and he named it deep practice. And of course, what it was, was chunking it up, providing mental images, and then having a coaching support to practice is what we had done and we didn't know we had done it. And, and in the book, he claimed that deep practice accelerates learning tenfold and uh, he went into the neuroscience behind why that is. And then he said in the book, and it can be used to learn anything. Yeah. And uh, that's when kind of a light, I was just ready to leave my company. I was gonna, gonna help churches. I had no idea what I was gonna do to do that. And I thought, well, I've got experience in deep practice. Why don't I try to help, to bring deep practice into the church to help lay people like me learn, you know, the lessons of the Bible. And so that's what we did. And I'm thinking that, so I'm going to jump into your head real quick, Bob. And I'm thinking here, here, here I am. I've built this big company. I've sold this big company. I'm looking for what's next. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I, I, I know I can do it. Now I know how to do deep practice. This is going to be easy, yes. right? Is that, is that the way it was? See? Okay. I thought it'd take about a year and a half. Yeah. And yeah. we formed a team. I had a couple of theologians, a writer, and we came up with this book. It was we called it the essential practices of the faith. It had five spiritual practices, deep practice tools, you know, to, to use deep practice to learn these things. Yeah. And Brian, in our testing groups, it was people were learning these practices, like how to forgive people quickly. Many were having like uh, amazing experiences of God's grace. In know, their own life. Yep. Changing their hearts. We were so excited. We thought, we've got this. We are on our way. It actually took us three years to get to this point, longer than we took. We figured we got it. I started taking the book and handing it out to people all around Northern Ohio and churches and friends of mine. Mm -hmm. And then I'd go back a few weeks and say, what do you think of the book? You know, and, and, and what people were telling me was, oh, yeah, I'm going to get to that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I read part of it. And what I found out is, even though people recognized those spiritual practices were an important part of being a Christian, they weren't motivated to use the book. They put it on a shelf and, and I was so discouraged. I mean, I was stopped dead in my tracks and I told my wife, that's it. I put three years into this. I think I'm going to quit. You know, I tried my best. It just didn't work. And, uh, and so what was, what was different? You, you, because you thought it would take about a year. It ended up taking three, you're right. face down in the mud with, without any hope and you're discouraged. What did you try to do then? Maybe not the thing that actually worked, but what, what did you try to do to get back up on your feet? Well, I didn't try anything. I was just down and all of done. a sudden, 
this God brought this story to mind that something that had happened to me personally a few years, you know, a few years before this. And what it was, was one morning I woke up, Brian, and I turned on CNN and I'm watching this story. They're out in Colorado at this place called the Bridgestone Winter Driving School. Okay. And what it was, was Bridgestone had set up this driving course outside Steamboat Springs, Colorado to Mm. teach young drivers to drive in snow and ice. And they had different parts of the course, like where you learn to stop on ice, where you learn to get out of a skid on ice, where you learn to, to, you know, turn on ice, these various skills. And as I was watching it at the time, my daughters were 15 and 16. When I was 16, I had actually got on ice, hit the brakes, went off the road, hit a tree and wrecked our family car. So by the end of the story, I was like, I'm going to take my daughters to the Bridgestone. And so I got them together and said, hey, guys, we've never done this between Christmas and New Year's. Let's go to Colorado. We'll go skiing. And by the way, I'm going to sign you up for this one day Bridgestone. So we went out and skied for a couple of days. And then the day came for the driving school. And I got them up early and like, you can imagine the complaining started immediately. Dad, you know, this is stupid. <laughs> we want to see, we know how to drive on snow and ice, on and on. Yeah. I dropped them off. A room full of teenagers were there. They all had the same dreary demeanor. And the instructor tells me, don't worry, when you pick them up, they'll be smiling. Yeah, so, he's seen this before, hasn't he? Right. Yeah. I pick them up at the end of the day. They're so excited. They're talking a mile a minute. They can't. And what they had done, Brian, is they, they spent some time in the classroom on, 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 you know, on some things. And then they went out to the course and they put two teens in a car and they had a second car with it with an instructor okay. and they had an intercom system between the two cars. And they'd go to a section of the course, like how to stop on ice. And the students would pull off and watch while the instructor did the maneuver several times. And he would explain what he was doing. And then he would pull off. And the first team had to do it several times with his coaching until he got it down. And then the second team, and they went to the next section of the course. And by the end of the day, they could drive the entire course. And I told my wife that night, this is the best example of accelerated learning I've ever seen. And one day, you know, they learned something that had taken me, you know, many, many years to learn how to drive uh, by trial and error and, and those kind of things. And, so what and, was going through your mind then, as far as your target customer, you were thinking, if I can just get them to experience this the same way, is that what you were thinking? Well, what, what, what I think the story showed me was the coach, we had not, we didn't have the coaching piece yeah. in there. You know, we, our book had the chunks and had the, the ability to see it being done in stories, but we left out the coaching. In our test groups, we had coaching, but once it got out of our test groups, the coaching was gone. So uh-huh. we spent the next three years, Brian, developing these like coaching guides to help people at churches who were running retreats or small groups or counseling people on how to coach people to practice using these tools. And again, we're getting these great reports from these churches in Northern Ohio. We figure now we're six years into this. We got it. We got it. I'm interested, Bob. So I'm interested very, very quickly, if I can interrupt you, you started the business, you had all the enthusiasm in the world. You ended up three years later, flat down. Now you're making the, now you get re-energized at some point though, that's three more years of re-energizing without any real return. I'm wondering in the back of your mind, are you, are you full steam ahead or are you being a little cautious with things and not wanting to fail again? And what's, what's going through your mind as the starter of this thing that just won't get the traction you want, even though you can see it right in front of your face. 
That's a good question. I mean, I would just say, you know, Brian, this was put on my heart, you know, to do this. And I couldn't think of anything else I wanted to do. I told my wife many times during that six years, I, I want to go back to business. I mean, I, you know, but nothing came to my mind to do. I, this was always there. It was like the thing I was driven to do. So I would just say, mm. you know, if you're in business or you're starting a business or you're in, when something is on your heart and you feel all you can think about, do not deny that desire. Because I do believe God puts those kind of desires on our hearts and he intends for us, you know, I mean, he'll help us. And he has opened, even though we failed many times, he's always been there and opened doors and provided what we needed. There's no denying it got long and it got hard, but, uh, so. but that's because he wanted it to be right. And that's the thing that you're yeah, working on now. Right. And that's the thing and you're that, working on now. So how did that, how did that go? Then you're implementing this coaching. What, what happened next? Well, we thought we had it. Again, we had it. And so, but something was telling me, Brian, that we didn't have it. And so people Maybe are lack using of sales. This, <laughs> well, people are using this in retreats and sermon series and things. And so, but I made a point to go back six months after they had had, they'd given me these great reports and ask them, are people still using the spiritual practices they learned in that retreat or in your small group? You know, has it become a habit, not just a one-time experience? Right. And sure enough, the answer to that was no, it no. hadn't been. And I got into this not to have like help lay people like me have a one-time great experience with forgiveness, was to help build a skill to do this whenever someone hurts or offends you in life, to go to God and interact with God on these things. And so again, I was dead flat, Brian. I was like, it's a failure. I mean, I didn't get into this to help people have a one-time great experience. They haven't learned the skills. They're not habits. It's a failure. And I was ready to quit again. I mean, I was ready to quit. And then I got a call one day from this Catholic priest up in Toledo, Ohio. And he was going to use our books during Lent for six weeks of Lent. And our newest book had six practices, so I, six spiritual practices. I said, it's perfect. Use one a week. It fits into... He said, no, I'm not doing that. I said, what are you going to do? I'm going to take one practice and do it for six weeks. I'm taking relinquishment, which is relinquishment of worries and fears to God. We're going to do that for six weeks. I said, I don't think that's a good idea. You know, I don't know how that's going to work. He said, I don't care. I'm doing it. Yeah. So he did it. And six, nine months later, I keep getting these stories from his congregation of people who are using this all the time in their lives. They're using, whenever they get worried and afraid, they're using the, pre the spiritual practice of relinquishment. I hear all these stories and I knew. Hmm. And what had happened, Brian, hmm. is during that six weeks, people had actually used the practice 10, 12, 15 times. And that goes back to the talent code, that book, what you need to do is you have to have repetitive times to build up this thing called myelin, which is how people learn. You build up this sheath on your nerve that gives you a habit. Yeah. And it's talked about the talent code. And that's what had happened. And so this took, this took three more. So what we did is we modified our tools to help people practice for a period of not one week, for three weeks with Even practice. deeper practicing. Deeper practice, exactly. Yeah. That's the deep practice part of it. And that ended about six months ago at the end of 019 after nine years, it has been nine years. I think we, we finally knew that we had broken through. Now you had, got it. 
I'm interested in that third year when you're building that thing and it's becoming it's becoming more successful. Again, it's based off your daughter's experience and your experience with the driving and it's starting to become successful. You're an entrepreneur, you're a businessman. It sounds to me like you could have had monetary success at that point, but that that wasn't good enough for you and you decided, no, I really need this to work. It's more about working than it is about money. Is that an accurate yeah, I mean, we could have sold it as a one-off. There's a lot of small group things out there. And uh, I mean, I'm sure it could have sold because it was very different stuff. You know, we didn't get into it for that reason. And, you know, once, and, and I knew after knowing about deep practice, I knew it didn't have to be that way. I knew we had missed something, you know, it wasn't that, you know, and, and when you, heck, Brian, when you've been in something for six, seven, eight years, yeah. you become rightly or wrongly, you, you become very persistent. You know, I've had people tell me you're the most persistent person. I don't know that I am. It's just that like when you know what it can be and you're and you haven't reached it yet. You know, Brian, if you look you know, over great innovations over time, and I'm not saying what we have is a great innovation. I think it, it is an innovation though, but it takes so much longer, yeah. big changing innovations to develop than what people think. I think that's the lesson here is that you you know, I mean, if you have a new idea. And it's really a, a big change idea. It could take many, many years for it to ultimately become commercially successful. You know? And so, and so, I want to ask about that. And I apologize if I dig in a little too deep here. Um, but and if I do, you say, "Hey, Brian, don't go there," and that's okay with me. But so, it's you can say it's on my heart, and so I'm not going to quit. And yeah. I know there were I know there were days <laughs> and nights where you wanted to, but it was on your heart. Yeah. But but you had just sold an international business that you started from scratch. I'm assuming yeah. there were a couple of dollars in the pocket and some some investors, yeah. perhaps. I don't want to get into the finances of things, right. but I'm assuming you had a little bit of flexibility for failure. Yes, it's true. What do you tell? Thank you for, for yeah. affirming that. What do you tell someone who has the same thing on their heart that really wants to accomplish what they've been driven to do, but they yeah. don't have that? And every wall is a bigger wall. What do you tell them? Well, you know, I've gone nine years without an, a paycheck mm. and uh, and has sunk a lot of money into this, as you would imagine. And you're right. The money came from my, my first business career. If, okay. I hadn't that, if I hadn't had that, I mean, either I wouldn't have done it or I would have quit earlier or I would have had to get an investor, you know, and uh, someone who to, to join me in as a partner or whatever. And so... I fortunately haven't had to do that yet. I, actually, I do think that may be coming here soon if we're going to really leverage this breakthrough. I think we're going to need outside capital now. And so I, I, I pro- yeah, that's what I would have had to do. I would have had to, if you will, sell somebody on the idea and the vision, you know, and, and they would have had to trust me on it and yeah. either be a partner or a passive investor from the outside or something. I, I don't, yeah. I'm, I'm fortunate I did not have to face that. And, and you know what I, what I love and, and what I'm hearing is that no, even if you had, if you had had to face it, and if you do have to face it in the future, what you're telling me and telling others, I think listening now is that find a way, if it's on yeah. your heart, find a way, because otherwise you're, you're, you're going against what God's put there, what you've put there for yourself to, to be successful. And that's not a happy place to be either. No, you know, in our previous company, we got outside capital and uh, we wanted to open a plant in India. We got outside capital, and within one year, Brian, we had a plant in India with 800 people in it, and it, pro- it propelled us forward very rapidly. So I'm not against outside capital. There's a time for it. Now, we had to give up a sizable portion of our 
you know, equity stake to do yep. that. But it turned out to be a good decision. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a lack, lack of capital is a big obstacle. Yeah. And it's a big hurdle that, uh, and particularly if you succeed that you have to face. Yeah. yeah. Even if you do succeed, then you've got other challenges like, oh, heck, what what now? You know, so so tell me now, Bob, what is next? So you've gone through almost three different pieces of the of the chain and now you're ready to hit this. Uh, what's the next hurdle where you're going to have to show some grit here moving forward? What are you worried about? Well, we have to market it. And I don't never market. You know, we're marketing to a mass market now. So we have to mm-hmm. learn that. So we're learning, learning about podcasting and social media and webinars and online court these kind of things which mm-hmm. is a lot to learn and uh, and we're also going to take our tools we're making an app so our tools are going to go from paper form onto an app okay and our in our leader guides are going to go from paper onto online courses and so we're turning everything digital and then we're starting the marketing so we have a lot going on right now and uh, our hope is to keep everything at a very low cost and uh, affordable for as many people around the country and around the world someday as we can. We'll we'll see. It's hard to see the future. Yeah. Boy, that's the truth. If we all knew, sometimes, you know, if we, uh, I thought that all you needed to do is put up a website and run a couple of Facebook ads and the money would just come rolling in. It's not that case, is it? (laughs) Whenever I hear someone, people come to me and say, I got this idea. I want to start this company. You know, I tell them, you better be to the point where you can't stand it if you don't do that. Because mm. if you can stand not to do it, don't do it. Because the idea is the is the actual the peak of it. Then you go into this valley where you have to work out the idea and make it commercially viable. And that's where all the blood, sweat, and tears is. And, it, and that does require a lot of persistence and grit or whatever you want to call it. It's yeah. really hard. I tell you what, Bob, we've, we've, we've run out of time, but I said at the beginning of this that uh, you are a, a, a provider of wise and, and sage advice and, and you've been through the wars, you've been successful and you're doing it again. It would have been easy for you and maybe on another episode, we can talk about that, that time when you sold and then started. Man, it would have been easy to put your feet up on the sand somewhere and, and enjoy life a little bit, but, uh, but you went a different direction. That's a different story. The advice that you've been able to, to give to people today about not giving up maybe even not starting, making sure that it's the right thing to do is huge. And I I thank you so much for that, Bobby. If someone wanted to reach out to you and talk to you about this thing, and I have to believe that if if some church folk and some pastors and folks hear this or see this uh, podcast, that they will, how would they reach out to you? How would they get in touch with you? Yeah, go to uh, uh, the podcast is Mm deeppracticepodcast.com. And the podcast is there. Our company, the brand name of our products is goanddo.com. So it's G-O hyphen N hyphen D-O.com. Goanddo.com. So. Goanddo.com. And then, uh, then they can reach out to you in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Thank you so much for being a part of our show, Bob. I really do appreciate it. And I know the folks listening appreciate it too. So thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Best of luck to you. And I do want to go ahead and and, uh, give, Bob was talking a little bit about marketing, how hard it is. Boy, I know it. If it was so easy that all you had to do was turn on some websites and marketing and it was scientific, we'd all be millionaires. It's not. That's where we come in. We're Spire Advertising. We uh, are here to help your business grow. We're a team of developers, a team of marketers, all in place. Uh, And Bob, you might think I'm giving this uh, pitch to you. It's not the case, but uh, for everyone else listening, we're here to help you grow and, and maybe even be a part of your grit 
effort as you try to grow your business. So if you go to spiread.com, you'll find everything you need to know. If you click on the contact sales button, I will answer. I'm Brian Leffelock, Director of Sales at Spire Advertising. Thank you to Bob Beer, founder and president of SDG Publishing. This has been a dash of grit. It is certainly an acquired taste in your recipe for success, but if you'll put the right amount in, it sure tastes good after. We thank you for being a part of Dash of Grit. This is a Dash of Grit. Recipes for success from courageous leaders who overcome challenges and build great things.